This is Rumble. This is Michael Moore. And thank you for listening, all of you uh, who've been uh, listening to my new podcast. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Um, I have a very special guest with me uh, here today, a, um, a obviously or certainly a cultural icon, uh, um, somebody who um, has been entertaining us, although we'll get into the us uh, in a few minutes, um, for 25 years, I would think. Um, uh, my guest is RuPaul. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you. It's, I was just uh, down the street, so it was no no problem. All right. Yeah. So so it was just you were free and yeah, walking the neighborhood. And <laughs> I was walking the neighborhood. You know, I walked through the park to get here, which right. is very nice. Always yeah. very. You know, I watched that uh, documentary, New York, a documentary film by Rick Burns. Oh right, <clears throat> yes. And it's it it when you live in New York and you're around New York, having seen that uh, documentary, you have such more um, love for New York and walking through the park, you know, all of the stories of how the Central Park came to be uh, sort of pop up in your head, which is, have you seen that thing? It's so yes, beautiful. Yes, I have it's seen beautiful. it. beautiful. Yes, and Rick is Ken Burns's brother. Okay. So Ken is, I guess, the more well-known Burns. Right. And, and Ken's daughter made the Central Park Five documentary. Of course, yeah. So, and his brother is Rick Burns, who made this incredible, you're right, documentary about New York. And, you know, you and I are not from here. Uh, we grew up in other mm -hmm. places. I think you, San Diego, maybe? I'm from San Diego, born and raised in San Diego, and then I, I moved to Atlanta when I was 15. Right, so, and I'm from Flint, Michigan. And, and but but New, New York always held this sort of... Uh, uh, at least for me, maybe because my mom brought us kids here a lot because mm. her sister lived on Staten Island. Mm. Uh, she was also from the Flint area, but they she married somebody from Staten Island, so moved here. So we got to come here as kids. Wow, that's great. It was really great, starting in third grade. And, and you know, at least every other year we were brought here. That is fabulous. That's, what a great gift for kids. You know, I think traveling is, is one of the greatest gifts you can give to your kids. Yes. Because it, it, it opens, it widens, it broadens their perspective on what this planet is, where we are, who people are, where they, how they can uh, fit into this world. Yes, I, I certainly, um, when coming here it, from, I mean, we would tell people that we would summer on Staten Island. <laughs> it's it sounded like we were in wow there's a part of new york city that's an island yeah well yes. it's mostly islands i think uh, very rasha shah yes <laughs> but um but it really um it did open our eyes yeah up to so much that we were never gonna see in yeah. in flint or in michigan or the midwest even i mean know? if you're gonna have kids i think you should probably think about what you freaking have to offer them, you know? Right. You know, my mother, uh, she, uh, French was her first language. Did she teach her children French? No, she did not, <laughs> right. you know, but thankfully- she was from Louisiana, right? from Louisiana. Uh, thankfully, you know, I had two older sisters who were very, um, they were like a world to me. They were, they were pop culture uh, lovers and I learned so much from them and from television. Mm. I didn't learn one thing from going to school. Not one thing. Mm. I, l I learned to type. 
You learn how to type. That's yeah. a good. That's a great. That was thing. good, and it was a it was a very kind of brave thing to do because back when I was in high school, typing class was for girls, mm. and there were only two of us boys in the in the class, and so you know we would always be laughed at or mocked when we were going into the typing room. That's because those other kids didn't summer on on Staten Island. That Islands. is correct. And my and 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 a weird thing. I the story had always stuck with me too that my my dad was in the Marines in World War II in the South Pacific. And he always told us this story of one day they had so many casualties in their unit. Uh, the next day they were going back out and the captain said, I need somebody to stay behind and type up the casualty list. It was so long, sadly. Do any of you know how to type? And my dad was the only one who knew how to type. And he yeah. raised his hand. He said, you know, more, you're staying behind. They went out and most of them died mm -hmm. that day. Wow. He didn't die. Because he could type. Yeah. That sort of weird story. I mean, not a weird story, but it was kind of like the juxtaposition of that stayed with me. So I signed up for typing, but you're right. In school, I'm trying to think what, what uh, I had one good English. I had two good English teachers mm -hmm. that let me write poetry and other things that again were not, you know, encouraged. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can remember a couple of teachers. In fact, uh, one teacher, uh, Bill Pinnell, who I'm still friends with uh, now today, uh, taught, taught me, he said, uh, don't take life too seriously. Mm. And I didn't really get it then, but I got it years later. Mm. And then I had another teacher uh, right before I dropped out of high school <laughs> in the 11th grade who was a political science teacher. And she, she said all the things that I suspected on my own mm. about how to deal with people and, and that, you know, the public is um, is really generally not very smart. So politicians uh, play this game with the, with them, where they tell them what makes them feel safe. But if the politicians actually told them the real truth of what's going on, uh, people wouldn't know what to do with that information. And this and, I, and and even today, I think, do they teach that same kind of political science in school? I mean, uh, doesn't does everybody? Uh, uh, get that information? I, I, I think not. No, it's worse now. Actually, I don't know what the current statistic is, but it was on its way to being uh, half of the schools, high schools and middle schools, no longer teach civics. They've just eliminated it, as, as they have with you know many schools with art or music as classes. You yeah. can do after school stuff. But the idea of civics um, is disappearing in the way that a class that we used to have to take called penmanship where you had mm -hmm. to learn writing mm -hmm. how to write cursive and um and so that was uh no that i think it's worse now but i don't when you said that people are generally not that bright i don't think it's in our dna to be stupid there there is something with our society maybe it starts with the schools maybe it starts maybe starts at home but we're not encouraged to think critically Right. Unless, unless you have to, unless you are forced to, unless, unless it's a survival mechanism, you know, uh, growing up the way I did, you know, where I was just an outsider from the moment I came to home from the hospital, you know, I grew up with all sisters and, uh, you know, I was just always an outsider and that's fine. It's perfectly, it was great. It was great because I, uh, uh, I learned how to, uh, find, a place for myself and learn how to create a place for myself, right? So uh, critical thinking uh, was a way for me to navigate my journey. I had to say, 
uh, is that meant for me? Is that negativity meant for me? Or is it really a reflection of that person's uh, self, own self-loathing? Mm-hmm. And, and usually that was the case. And that was how I had to use my own critical thinking. And also my family, my mother and father were at war from day one. Mm-hmm. So I, we, I had to figure out, uh, I had to sort of hover above the situation, look at all the pieces like a chess game, mm-hmm. and uh, figure out, okay, uh, what's my next move? To survive all So of basic this. survival required creating a sense of critical thinking or sussing up the situation to where, you know, what is it? How am I going to survive this? How am I going to get through this? My parents Absolutely. are screaming at each other. I, I have no brothers. I have sisters. I, you know, I feel different. Like how young does that thought go back? Uh, the first thought, the very first wow. thought. It was never yeah. not there. Right. But, you know. I think people, if they don't have to do that, if they can live in some type of a haze, some type of a fantasy world, then um, they won't go to uh, go st- look behind the curtain. You know, I think there are two types of people in the world. The people who understand that this is a matrix and the people who believe that the matrix is real. It's like a, being in a stage play and all the actors on stage uh, thinking that the character they're playing is really them. Mm. Uh, and very few people are able to go outside of their own character and go, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. I'm part of this, this, this tapestry, this, this uh, role-playing storyline, and how can I elevate my character? How can I make my character something that, is, that has something to say and that is, is brilliant and exciting I don't think most people, a lot of people don't want it, want exciting, actually. A lot of people just want to just wake me when it's over. Mm. Wake me when it's over, you know? Yeah, that's a very common feeling today. Mm. How, but how did, you, how did you do that? How were you able to operate outside of the character, I mean, or the role that you were supposed to play in this society? Somewhere, as a child, you started making decisions where you were like, okay, this is how the script is going to go. Yeah. Well, early on, I, I realized that this was a matrix. And even just from like probably five years old, hearing about the Bible and hearing about, um, uh, hearing that uh, God says, I am the only God, but I'm also a jealous God. And I, as a kid, I was thinking, well, jealous of who if you're the only God? <laughs> right. what? And so there was a tear in the matrix right there. And I thought, mm. wait a minute, that doesn't really make any sense. Jealous of who? So um, that led me to look closer at the tear in the matrix. And like Dorothy, when she gets to Oz, realizes, wait a minute, you're the wizard? And, and, and that's why that is my favorite movie of all time. But mm-hmm. uh, it's a, a, a way to remember that you can find truth and cr- through critical thinking and not have that truth wreck your experience because most people i remember in uh, in my 20s i dropped acid every weekend that was my thing with all my friends and the what the people the friends who would freak out on acid we like take four or five hits a, uh, at a time the people who would freak out were the ones who hadn't gotten to the place where they understood the matrix because once you drop acid the matrix makes itself very clear to you and the people who would freak out and by freak out i don't know if people are familiar with that but some people have a panic attack when they get right. start hallucinating 
Um, I never had a panic attack because it actually affirmed everything that I thought the matrix was. It was like, oh, of course, none of this is real. This is all a make-believe. Right. And so, um, uh, and so most people don't go there, whether they're hallucinating or not. They won't go there because they're afraid of uh, seeing the matrix for what it is. And then, in turn, having to re- deconstruct and recreate a belief system of their own making. Mm. So what were the other terrors for you, especially as a child? First, let's say the first terror was realizing that this thing that's been, in, you know, called a god. Yeah doesn't really seem to, doesn't match up to right. what they're saying. Yeah. Um, and there's that tear. The, what was the, what were the next tears? The tears, the first, the second big in, one in the matrix. was um, uh, um, boys go here, girls do this, uh, blacks over here, whites over there, um, this religion there, this, this separation. And uh, which as time went on, I, I realized that that separation was a, a, um, uh, a byproduct of, ego thinking the ego wants to put things in boxes so they could uh, so it can understand it or feel safe you know and uh, this weird this false sense of security so um, the, the big one you know people would say um, uh, are, are you a girl so I guess I looked I guess I looked like a girl when I was a, a kid or I would I acted effeminate or whatever the case was and I, and I realized um, no and it, it was obvious that I wasn't really but um, that was one of the big ones where I realized, wait a minute, um, we are not that different from one another. We're actually more alike than we are different. Mm-hmm. And that is a, uh, a byproduct of ego thinking. So that was a, another big one. And then, you know, I was always, a, I love colors and textures and laughing and uh, different, different, eclectic things and society would say oh no you can only do this and you can do that and i thought i knew that that wasn't true so uh and then you're to color that with this crayon exactly within these lines and all the things i was attracted to uh in art uh, affirmed my suspicion that these um boundaries actually don't exist uh only in society only in small-minded people do they exist so my first um order of business would be find uh find my tribe you know and in 71 or maybe it was 70 i i think it was 71 i saw monty python on public television on pbs mm-hmm. and that was it was more affirmation that my tribe existed i just have to go and find them and i suspected that even then that I'd have to go to, to, to New York to find them. <laughs> Not uh-huh. necessarily Monty Python, but people who thought outside the box and who were irreverent. You know, I, I grew up watching the Carol Burnett show with the spoofs of uh, those movies that she would do. Right. And I was always attracted to things that made fun of the Matrix, that made fun of all the rules. David Bowie came into my uh, consciousness in 73. And, uh, you know, I always loved, uh, you know, Share from Sunny and Share because she was very punk rock and very, um, she didn't act like girls were supposed to act. Right. You know, and she I, didn't look like it. She didn't mm-hmm. act like it. And she had a, a, you're right, a sort of a sarcastic, sardonic sense of saying, this is all bullshit. Yes. Basically. Yes. In her attitude. She didn't even have to say that. No, she didn't it just, say it. It was, was in there. her attitude. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, this so so this this is this is very true. And, and pe- what is this about society where so many people are raised to not to actually not be curious, right? To not want to figure it out or to think or to because again, I don't think people are inherently stupid. I think that that um, the way ignorance is enforced, it's kind of a, an enforced ignorance where it's not encouraged. It's almost looked down upon if you want to educate yourself learn that statistic that where the more than half of the American public cannot name their two US senators from their state. So right away you don't even know, you know, who's calling the shots for you. Right. Um, ask anybody, including me, who who is the chairman, who is the head of ExxonMobil or mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> you know, General Motors or IBM or any of this. Um, we know the star ones, like the head of Apple or, mm-hmm. or Amazon or whatever, mm-hmm. but we don't even know who's running, who runs the banks. Right. <laughs> name seriously. Yeah. Name you. You. You follow the news and politics, mm-hmm. and I do. Mm-hmm. Name the head of Chase Manhattan, uh, or I think it's called J.P. Morgan. See, I don't can't even name. I them. don't know. The, I don't know anymore. Yeah, we don't. We don't know any mm-hmm. of these people. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, you kind of knew them. You knew that yeah. the, that Rockefeller. Yeah, was the you know was that David Rockefeller was head of bank. Chase Manhattan. Yes, yeah, you knew that, uh, and it's we've gotten away from just the basic basic knowledge of just the everyday things, and I think that has benefited uh, the Matrix for absolutely. There, it, there's there's a reason we don't know their names, and there's a reason that people gravitate toward fear rather than toward love. And fear is a very powerful tool when it comes to controlling people. And you know, the, the main reason people don't gravitate toward educating themselves is because it would mean they'd have all of their fantasy, their whole fantasy world would fall like dominoes mm-hmm. and they'd have to build it up again. And that sort of uh, crucifixion and resurrection, which happens throughout nature all the time is what we are afraid of because it would mean that um, a lot of the things that you've based your whole life on your social security uh, your pension your wife your family what you think of as security um, would just disappear and you'd have to create a new sense of security for yourself and that's hard to do it's hard to do and uh, you know if, if a five-year-old started asking about wait a minute uh, what God is jealous of who? If you're the only God, who are you? Je- if a five-year-old starts acting, asking those questions, um, where do you go from there? Right. Well, you start to look. The answers are there. Right. It's just you have to work. You have to put some work in. Did you ask a lot of questions? I asked a lot of questions. Yeah. And when did you realize that you were putting yourself in danger by asking a lot of questions? Um, I don't feel that it was dangerous. I felt it was my only choice. I felt the other option was dangerous of mm. staying uh, ignorant and mm. uh, sort of following, uh, you know, don't ask any questions of that man behind the curtain. That was more dangerous because I knew I had, I had something. I knew that I could see colors and hear sounds and uh, uh, see things that other people couldn't see. And you weren't afraid of discovering some of the answers were pretty cruel and and uh, um, might make this world less safe because now you know? No, I wasn't afraid of it. You know, my mother, uh, she was very world-weary. 
I don't know what happened to her before I met her, but something did happen to her. And she was always world weary. She was always skeptical of the world. And even though she knew, read the Bible uh, constantly and was uh, um, religious, she was always against organized religion. Mm. You know, she's that person. So um, uh, I, I grew up with a, a, a skeptical uh, perspective on the world because of my mother. But she's also, my mother is also the one that said, you know, um, unless they're paying your bills, pay them these, no mine. So, she, so the, uh, the gumption to go out and do my own thing really does come from her, and she supported that 100%. Wow, you were very lucky. Very lucky. Yeah, yeah. Is she still with us? No, yeah. she she left for Paris uh, probably uh, I think in '93, right as I was I was getting famous. Uh, she she moved on, but um, she when she was pregnant with me saw a psychic. Psychic said, "Oh, you're having a boy it's before ultrasound, mm. and he's going to be famous." Wow. So I grew up with this idea. This I don't know if it because the seed was planted there, I became famous, or because she, the psychic actually predicted it. But it doesn't matter. Um, I knew that I was here, and I was going to do something. So you, but you become famous, um, not in the, uh, at that time, certainly, the normal way mm -hmm. uh, to be famous. Um, you, you create your own path. Absolutely. And you invent, you invent a path, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, you know, you obviously became the most, and still are the most famous drag queen. But it, but there were drag queens before you. Mm -hmm. But there was something that happened um, when you began, and certainly in the '90s, and then as we entered this century, you had somehow—I don't know how to put this—you turned a light on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a darkness, and the fear, we'll say, of amongst non-gay people right started to dissipate yeah in some ways and inch by inch bit by bit the fear which of course fear is the basis of of anger and hatred yeah. and bigotry and all of this um it starts to it starts to uh fade away people really aren't that complicated they really aren't. Mm -hmm. They're pretty simple. And um, with drag, which had always been subversive, and it scares people because it's saying that this image that you've taken on, this role that you've taken on is a hoax. And look, um, okay, I snap my finger. Now I'm, I'm a female. Now I'm a male. Now I'm dressed as a cowboy. Oops, snap my fingers. Now I'm dressed as a military man. And, mm -hmm. and especially when it comes to sexuality, the, um, Switching over, switching identities like that so quickly and so effortlessly scares the bejesus out of people because it, it, it's their own way of seeing that there is a crack in the matrix. It's their own way of somehow recognizing that, um, you mean we aren't different from one another and that my, the role I'm playing is a hoax? So that's one aspect of it. But the bigger, uh, another aspect of it which allowed me to uh, make this work for me in show business is that um, in my persona, I decided I would construct a persona that was non-threatening. Um, I'd put um, one part Cher, one part D Dolly Parton, one part David Bowie, and two parts Diana Ross, mix it all together. 
What's not to like? What's not to like. And in doing so, also extracting the sexuality out of it. Mm. And that was the, the major element that allowed me to uh, be invited into uh, Betty and Joe Beercan's home through television because I, was non, I am non-threatening. So <clears throat> those were the elements. And it's just like, you know, if you study humans and you see what they do and what their fears are, um, then you can manipulate them. That's what uh, the power brokers have done for years, the people who, who create religions and fears and all that stuff. They have played on the fears of people, and uh, that has allowed them to control the narrative. Right, and you as an artist, as all great artists throughout history have known, that that manipulation can also go the other way. Instead yes. of out of fear and you know trying to push those buttons of hate and all that um it can be created out of love yes and yeah. and compassion and empathy and and a whole bunch of uh things but it's interesting you say by extracting the sexuality out of these characters mm -hmm. you would perform that that would be the thing that would be the most threatening that if they thought that there was if, if you were trying to bring them along into some sort of right. sexual adventure yeah that was like a bridge too far. Yeah. And so once they realized, oh, he's just funny and oh, he can sing. Oh, he's, oh, oh, he's very entertaining. Mm -hmm. Seems like a nice guy. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to deal with the fact of whether he's a guy or not right now. Right, right. I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to go with this simply because it's, it's entertaining. Yeah. And, and also they be in the generation before us, our parents' generation were hugely entertained by Milton Berle mm -hmm. and, and men who dressed as women, mm -hmm. mostly for comedic yes. purposes, <clears throat> mostly often, I should say, to put down women. Um, yeah. But it was not a new idea. And, and when you look back at those shows now, the TV shows from the 50s, um, you think, wow, how were people handling this? Uh -huh. Just fine, it seems. Yeah, yeah. But when you came along, um, you, you weren't, you weren't doing it with this wink, wink, don't worry, folks. I'm not really, right. you know, it's like, no, we kind of know, we knew that you were what you were yeah. and what you were doing. And yet, and yet somehow you open, you kicked open this door. Um, and, and, and the mainstream television put you on, mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember exactly when your talk show was on, on VH1. It was in 96. 96. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is still pretty early. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because, um, uh, you know, Bugs Bunny was the, the first, my first recollection of drag in a punk rock sense. Now he wasn't misogynistic. He was actually making fun of, of these identities that we adopt as people uh, in the way that uh, today's drag does that. It, it wasn't like the Milton Berle thing. Bugs Bunny was making fun of everyone. And I go back to what my teacher taught me in the 10th grade, which is um, don't take life too seriously. And that is the role of the drag queen throughout history. You know, before they were called drag queens, they were shaman or witch doctors or, uh, you know, uh, people, you know, court jesters, they mm. are there to remind people that 
don't take any of this too seriously. This is all temporary. This body, this building, your, who you think you are, it's all temporary. And that's our role. Um, some people get it. Most people don't get it. And uh, I have carried that with me. And I've also understood why it threatens a lot of people. You know, a lot of, and when I'm interviewed, people always ask, how long does it take for you to get into drag? It's a constant question. And I figured out the reason they do that is because the ego mind who wants to believe that this role that they've adopted is, is locked and is who I am and that's what it is and that's what I will be forever and ever and nothing will change that. But I'm uh, challenging that to say, you know what? Uh, don't get it twisted, hon. It can change just like that. In fact, um, this idea that you're sitting over here and I'm sitting over here, even that is an illusion. The truth is, there is one of us here on this planet. We are all one thing. It, your, your ego says we're separate, but the truth is we are one. And that's the, the role of the drag queen is to remind the spirit that we are one. And these roles that we play are just illusion so you know why is that so scary for people to think that we are one because especially on the right wing anytime you talk about us being part of one planet or one world we have to think globally or whatever they hate that right because they need to cling to this feeling of no no we're america we're number one that's right and uh fuck everybody else and it's kind of like okay but we do have to live the the neighborhood is is the planet that's right so they're fearful because it is, we are in this thought virus that has gone on for a long time, but it, it's never been the way it is now. And the, the thought virus is born from the ego mind, right? So the ego is all about fear and it's all about, and power is all about fear, you know? So uh, the, 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 the message being um, we're number one and we're America is it's, positioning ourselves as in the power position and power is always reflected from fear and fear is a byproduct of the ego so it feels like more than ever and you see it all over the papers and all over the world right now um a thought virus where everyone uh, I, I remember when um cell phones came along and you'd be on the plane and someone would say um t lock, talking really loud yeah. and everyone can hear it. So, yeah uh-huh uh-huh yeah i'm on the I'll be landing soon, or whatever the case may be, right? But there, it's like, bitch, you know, there is a condenser mic here, and you can actually talk like this, and you don't have to. But it's like, talk about civility and uh, civics. Um, uh, people only saw themselves. They weren't thinking of other people's uh, peace of mind or their, uh, their uh, well-being. So it was like all about me, me, me. I'm going to talk yeah. this loud thing. And you see it w walking down the streets of New York where, or Paris, you know, where people are walking, the street, not looking where they're going. They're looking at their phones and they're making sure that other people look out for them rather than them being a part of a civilization. Well, it's kind of a weird form of narcissism. It's sort of a societal narcissism, which now <laughs> leads me to think, oh, Here's part of the reason why we're where we're at with the narcissist in chief, that he's not alone. He didn't fall out of the sky. 
He was elected by tens of millions. Of he is the per- he is the representative of what we are. What we become, sir. That's right. Yeah, well, that's so true. I was I was flying this past week, and the, right behind me, the the phone rings. They'd already told us to turn off the phones. He picks it up, and and he goes through this whole thing, and he wants to know. I assume he was talking to his spouse. Where is she? Who's she with? Are you you're sure you're alone? <laughs> this interrogation yeah. Yeah. and it was so loud and they had turned off all the fans and everything on the plane so it was like really quiet yeah and everybody and i'm thinking doesn't he know we're all listening to him That's right and yeah. and and when he got off the phone and I, I i said to the guy sitting next to me and i had i hadn't eaten all day so i just grabbed some crappy crap airport yeah. food to bring on the plane and i noticed as soon as i got on it had it smelled like Food. Mm-hmm. Like, you, why did I bring this odor onto the plane? Because <laughs> everybody else is gonna have to smell this stinky stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I couldn't help it. I just said to the guy next to me, I said, "Tell me honestly, which was worse, uh, this guy, <laughs> this guy on the phone, <laughs> or, or this thing I'm about to eat?" Yeah, he laughed so hard. He said, "He said, don't people know?" I said, "No, I don't know. There's something that's happened to us that we're so oblivious to the fact that we are sharing." Yeah. Space, space with other people. Absolutely. And that's, again, it goes in on a broader level, you know, uh, uh, climate change and and what we're doing that uh, affects everyone else. So, you know, I I just think of it as a thought virus. And unfortunately, unfortunately, when you look at the history of humans on this planet, we learn things uh, two different ways, intellectually or emotionally. You know, mom says, um, don't touch that stove, it's hot. Intellectually, you can listen to her and go, she's probably right. I know her, she's been around a long time, and she's probably right. Or, emotionally, you could go over and touch the stove and then go, oh, I'll never do that again. So, um, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately for humans on this planet, what is probably going to happen is we're going to touch that hot stove, and we're going to say, um, oh, I made a mistake. I'll never do that again. Or we can listen to what uh, the elders, the scientists, learned people say and say, uh, we can turn this around, hopefully, if we stop doing this. Chances are we won't do that. We'll probably touch the stove. Wow. Yeah. That's that's just what humans do. Yeah. I didn't make this stuff <clears throat> up. No. I just observe it and, mm. you know, you know. So how long does our species have at this point? Well, I think we are careening toward a huge disaster. And listen, I hate saying that. I don't want no, to say that. You're actually an optimistic person. Absolutely. As am I. Maybe people don't think that, but I, I actually, I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't believe. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. It would have some impact or effect. So, yeah. so, so coming from your optimistic place, you also have enough awareness to realize that we are careening. Yes, we are careening toward a disaster, and that disaster is akin to touching a hot stove and waking uh, us somehow waking up, oh, um, lifting our head from our smartphone. And, uh, you know, also people from our generation, <clears throat> the idea of being connected to a screen like that, it just speaks of Big Brother. I mean, I grew up after, you know, the mm-hmm. Cold War storyline, and so the idea of some other entity controlling my thoughts at all times right it's like don't you understand this and actually they don't they right. are you know um people my age uh raised a bunch of kids because uh, it, with sort of this therapy mind this sort of 
psychological way of wanting to right the wrongs of their childhood. And they thought they could mm. do that by not telling their children about uh, the, the hideousness of this world. You know, don't forget, this. we're in a jungle. Life is like a jungle. And there are predators and there are there is beauty in a jungle. There's everything. And your best defense is adaptability and intelligence and knowing about things. How is it that a, a human has reproductive ability at 12, but they don't know anything about sexuality or anything about using their own uh, standard equipment GPS system in their own body, in their consciousness, uh, critical thinking, we are talking about it earlier, they don't know how to use it. It's because parents keep their children in the dark, not out, not to save their children, but to save for the parent from experiencing the discomfort of talking about what life is. Mm. And they thought that they could uh, give their kids a little extra innocence, just a little bit more than I had. You know, well, I want my kid to have more than what I had. <laughs> it's like, actually, you're doing them a disservice. And it's actually your own narcissism that is keeping you from educating this person. My mother didn't teach us French. We, um, you know, um, we didn't get to go to Staten Island in summer. We didn't summer mm, in Staten Island. Mm. You know, all the uh, knowledge is power in the jungle. Right. And, the, and uh, you know, I don't, I wouldn't want some outside force uh, uh, dictating to my kid through a cell phone or a smartphone mm -hmm. what they should think. Right, that's why now there's the story couple months ago that the executives and the people who work in Silicon Valley are the most uh, strict about limiting the amount of time wow. their children can yeah. watch those screens, can uh, look at the computer. Yeah. They, they now realize they, they who have invented this will not, will not allow their own children mm -hmm. to even own a device until a certain age. It, it's if anybody I, I'll, I'll post it uh, the article um, it's a stunning thing to read but it you're right we grew up in a time where Big Brother there's a screen in 1984 in everyone's home and I think 1984 had to have been written before there were screens right and yeah. Orwell wrote this in the yeah. 30s or 40s yeah. or yeah. right yeah. Yeah. so he invented this concept of this and the screen wasn't there for for the people in your home to watch something it so much as it was for them to watch you mm -hmm. through the screen. Now all of our new TVs have a little camera mm -hmm. in there, mm -hmm. which I've put a piece of black tape. Me on. too. I, I've, all, done that I, I've done it for years. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. I, you know, I bought, I bought one of these, uh, uh, Alexa things a couple years ago. And it's like the first time it, it starts talking to you or it picks up a word you said, I'm like, Whoa, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, yeah. I am plug that thing, and you know, I, I, did, yeah. I didn't feed it to the dogs, but I'm basically it. it uh, this is a dangerous uh, device, I think. But yeah. or am I, am I just paranoid? I don't know. It, it, it. Um, but there is some. There's a shift that's taken place that I don't think is is for the better. But we grew up with that. We grew up with the Manchurian candidate. Where, yeah, and soil and green is people. Yes, and right. uh, you know this idea that people can use. Uh, your innocence to uh, to uh, to their advantage, 
And you have to be conscious of that. And uh, if you, you have to be conscious of that to survive. And that is seemingly lost right now. But we backed away, you and I, from the careening because we, we don't want <clears throat> we don't want to bring people down into this place of despair that they can't rise out of. But, you know, I certainly have been feeling that it's too late in some weird sense. Yeah, I do too. I don't mean too late as in, well, let's just give up, you mm-hmm. know. But, but too late as in, I don't think we have the science or we don't know yet how to turn it around. Um, and, and who's going to do that for us? Right. I tell you, Michael, this is the, this is the solution. It, and it's not going to happen, but this is, I have the solution. Oh, good. Thank you. The conversation has to go to understanding who we are and how our minds work. And, and it just goes right back to the ego. We have to understand the human, human behavior. We have to be able to see ourselves from outside of ourselves. That's the next level. Uh, you, they say space is the final frontier. No, no, no. Inner space is the final frontier. The final frontier is understanding that you are a construct, this body that you have, the way you think, everything you've ever, every original thought you've ever had was actually programmed in there. But there are there is originality there, but it comes from your spirit. And that understanding those entities, your spirit, your mind, body, and spirit, how they work is the solution. And that's the next level of the human evolution. How do we do that? How do we learn that? Well, we do that through stillness. We do that through meditation Mm. and being conscious. It's consciousness. When I see people walking down the sidewalk with the phone, that's unconsciousness. That's why the prevalence of zombie movies over the past 20 years have quadrupled you see so many it's a parable of what we are today we are zombies and for all the reasons we talked about earlier which is people are afraid to open their eyes and i think in the movie the matrix he says well why i feel like i'm seeing this for the first time he says it's true you are because um uh you know you were you couldn't uh you couldn't see those the truth of what this is because it's so ugly and so horrific. Mm-hmm. Then that, that haunting image of all the, the people in pods to in infinite rows and rows of people actually not living their lives. They're living their lives. Um, uh, what's the uh, James Cameron movie? Um, Avatars. Everybody's mm-hmm. living yeah, them, yeah, right. their lives through this, through Facebook or through Instagram yeah. in these fake lives. But inside... Everyone is so fearful and uh, dead. That's why the, that explains the opioid crisis. It explains all the addiction that we have. It's a, the solution is a connection to your mind, body, and spirit, and the, the awareness of those things. And that is the solution, you know? You started by, when you said this, that it's not going to happen, but here's the solution. Mm-hmm. But as you are explaining it to me, I'm just sitting here thinking, I want to just, I want to take what you just said and let's try to figure out how to make this happen. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't want to give up. I don't want to end up in, in that, uh, that animated film Wall-E uh-huh. where, yeah. where everybody is now in a flying pod yeah. up because the earth is uninhabitable. Yeah. So you, everybody has to live up in space in these pods and nobody, yeah. And, and nobody is taking care of themselves and everybody's just in their lazy boy that has wheels on it and, you know, just a sad 
friggin' existence. Mm-hmm. I, I to to avoid that, um, and to do what you just said, it's it's um, I don't want somebody to dig this podcast up a hundred years from now and go, wow, these two guys were onto something. Yeah, <laughs> like, why well, couldn't they make this happen? Because because the the species essentially almost went extinct. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. This is not a new idea. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. I didn't come up with this idea. No, uh, the Chinese probably thought of it 4,000 years ago. Probably. Yeah. But it's, um, uh, I've always been a seeker, and I always wanted to see what's behind the curtain, what's under the hood, what's really there. And so, you know, Eckhart Tolle's book, uh, A New Earth, it, it's all mapped out there. And it's the solution is simple. Mm. Be here now. Mm. Know thyself be here now i didn't come up with this stuff this has been around for, and if you actually if you looked at uh, krishna and buddha and jesus they all say the exact same thing the right. bigger question is what is the prevailing idea that always overrides that thought because you, you said it earlier we intuitively are inquisitive and we are mm-hmm. we actually kind people um uh intrinsically kind people what is the what's the overriding uh influence that always takes precedence what is it it's fear it's fear, it's fear. and it's uh the ego is is all about <clears throat> fear uh and so the ego wants it's fear of of ideas and thoughts so it wants to put everything in a box so it can make heads or tails of it it's like okay that's that you're bad you're good us against them we are it's like no but the act of breathing right now the solution right now is to breathe laugh and repeat and the act of breathing and focusing on your breathing forces you to be right here right now it's right. very simple right. so you know if you're walking down the street or listen if you're walking down the street with your phone watching this it's different with uh with audio to us right now. no no yeah. no it's different with audio it is different though. with audio yeah. that's but, why we i don't film people said you should film this and put it on youtube and we do put this on youtube but i i just haven't wanted to have a camera right uh here doing this because there's something about what is that about sound well, well with sound you can you can do your basic uh movement you can walk you can do that with sound mm. with um uh visuals it's connected to our equilibrium and the we, eyes have to be fixed. The, first house, of all. the eyes have to be fixed. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Locked. They have to be, go into lockdown. That's right. Whereas you can do the dishes, the laundry, drive the car, whatever, and sound can be everywhere. And most of the time it's not distracting. If you have anything, it might be making you feel better listening to That's your right. favorite music or whatever. That's right. So, you know, um, you, um, uh, you know, you ha- if you are looking at a screen, then you can't be in the now. Mm. I just I was walking over here. I was thinking, geez, Orson uh, Bean lived ninety one years, his whole life, to be run over by two cars mm. in Venice uh, last week. Mm. Orson Bean, I didn't know that. Wow. The uh, actor yeah, yeah. and free spirit. Yeah, uh, ninety one. He didn't die of a heart attack. Didn't die of old age. He died because he was run over by two cars right and the chance and then they don't know yet but the chances are those two cars were not paying attention right and they were probably looking at their phone or something right anyway you know long story long it's it's very simple it's being in the now the problem with that is that if people were in the now 
the number one thing they would recognize immediately is their unhappiness. And that is why people don't do it. People don't stay in the now because they would ultimately realize how happy, unhappy they are and that they don't immediately have the solution to make themselves feel better. Have you found yourself that way? Have you noticed that with yourself through your life where um, it's, it used to be called, still is, you know, wanting to stick your head in the sand because you really don't, if you really paid attention to what was going on in your life, you're so, it would be like incoming yeah. missiles Absolutely. coming at you, knowing why am I still at this job? It sucks and I hate being here and I, I'm, I'm miserable. Yeah. Or this relationship is wrong. Yeah. Why, why am I, after all these years, I'm still, you know, just pick up, pick any subject like this. It's a very common thing amongst yeah. all of us that, that you you start to, and you immediately, when you start to think that way, you shut it right out. You, That's right. You override it. That's right. That's right. I, you know, when I was I, 10 years old, I, you know, I'm born in 1960. When I was 10 years old, uh, I started smoking weed, and I smoked weed for almost 30 years, uh, like wake and bake, and you know, and other things too, booze and everything. But I got sober 20, uh, over 20 years ago. Uh, and you know, when I look back at it, it was my way of saying, um, and I'm a sweet, sensitive soul, as are you. People who are, are sweet, sensitive souls gravitate toward something to just get my mind off of it because we're, we're seeing everything it's yeah. like um uh, i see dead people um i see this i'm seeing what's right. behind the curtain and um and that explains why our country right now is in an opioid crisis and among other things but uh want the pain to go away want the pain to go away but there is a solution and you know it but it takes a lot of guts to follow your heart it, I think it's the most political thing you can do is to follow your heart. And uh, it oh, would I, I agree with that. Yeah. That's very true. It's in, in, and it takes courage to do that. It, it sounds like courage. a cliche, follow your heart. Oh, that's easy. You mm -hmm. know, no, actually, if you really stop to think about it, it's not. Yeah. Cause if you really thought about following your heart, there would be voices attacking you from right and left. Oh yeah. And, oh my God. If you do that, you're going to be so messed up. Yeah. Your life is going to be mis You're going to be. You're going to be broke. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to like you. Um, all the stuff that just starts hitting us. It's why, you know, one of the things. One of the things about our species is that we can write. Yeah, we're we're all writers. We're all yeah. storytellers. That's right. And uh, we all have the ability to do that. But it's it's anybody who's tried to write will knows this feeling of as soon as you have that blank page, whether it's on the screen or whether you're you know you're still typing or whatever. Uh, on paper, it's it's the most frightening moment. If you've tried to do this, yes, yeah. I'm sure you have. I, I know you have. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know you personally, but I know that that uh, as a creative person, at the moment you decide to create, you're like, oh fuck, I don't mm. know, oh no. Or right away, if you get one page done, this sucks so bad, and you just you want to run away from it. Mm -hmm. It's much more comfortable to be back where I was an hour ago. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, but I just, I think you're right that I don't think things will change politically. When I say that politically, I don't just, I'm not talking about political parties or whatever. I'm just saying, I don't think things will change until people get to that place where they're willing to follow their heart. Yeah. 
Because if they do, see, and then maybe this is my crazy optimism. Mm. I believe if most people, not all, most people followed their heart, they would not want to live in a society where if somebody gets sick, they can't see a doctor. That's right. They wouldn't want to live in a society where, where somebody is paid such a minimal wage, an oppressive wage, to where they can never get themselves out of the box yeah. that they're in and can't even have an enjoyable life. Nobody, if you cared, if you had a heart, why would you, why would you want somebody else to suffer? And I think I'm sad to say this, but I, we live in this society in this country where it's like the attitude amongst many people is I got mine. You get yours. Right. I'll take care of mine. You take care of yours. You know, somebody here, my family gets sick. I'll take care of it. I'm not responsible for you. I'm not responsible for your family. I'm not, you know, and it's just like, whoa. Yes, actually you are. Yeah, because there's only one of us here. And if you get sick, I, I get sick. That's you know? right. That is, I had the Canadian explain this to me years ago. I said, how is it? You are really, I don't want to say you're us, but we are not, there's no wall between us, right. Canada and the US. We, you, at least you, <laughs> watch our movies our tv you know all this um you know wait we don't I mean, we don't watch much of your stuff uh we have no idea that 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 you have two languages in your country um and uh but and we we think you're we think the capital of canada is is either seattle or buffalo um but um but but it's real but i had a canadian explain this to me that we literally we really have this feeling that if millions of us are left behind if millions of us are falling between the cracks because they've lost their job or you know whatever has happened we all feel it mm -hmm. we all we all feel first of all just out of empathy we feel it but secondly out of our own self-preservation we don't want to live in a society we've seen what that looks like it's called yeah. you united yeah. states yeah where where when you push people just so far to where they are truly have-nots what people will do to survive um, and, and how the collapse happens and they've watched the collapse in Canada. Mm -hmm. They've watched it. And it's not that they don't have their problems or their own, their own collapse going on, mm -hmm. but boy, they don't want to be us. Right. And that's why even their most conservative politicians support free universal healthcare. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they know the, the alternative to that is a higher fence and a higher wall around yeah. their home, a gated community. Uh, hire private police force for the neighborhood. All the things that happen with in communities of upper middle class people. In That's right. Country. Yeah, because you know they the old adage. You know, um, I'm not my brother's keeper. Well, if you're not your brother's keeper, then make sure uh, make sure that then that your <laughs> the probability of your brother's kids coming and kidnapping you <laughs> and <laughs> you know stealing uh, things and making uh, wreaking havoc is is very high. But you know, uh, I've always said too that that I try. This is how I try to. If I am stuck on a plane next to a conservative, you know, I try to find some common ground, and I say, you know, here's the thing. Here's why you should you should support a, a doubling the minimum wage or making sure that people are paid well. The because the chance of your neighbor, if your neighbor is earning sixty thousand dollars or seventy thousand, eighty thousand dollars a year, what? What are the chances that your neighbor is going to break into your house and steal your TV or steal mm -hmm. anything from you? What, what is the chance that your neighbor is going to mug you? 
if your neighbor is making eighty thousand dollars a right, year. Right. You want them to make you absolutely. Want, and if you're an employer, you want to pay people well. It's in your self preservation benefit. Yeah. To do this. And I think other in other countries, I think they have that sense of that. And I don't know what the hell is wrong with us. Why don't we go from the heart? Why where I mean, help me out with this because I love this country and I love the people in it, and I'm, 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 I am an American, and I have watched this my entire life, and I am sick and tired of it. And now I see the careening, I see how fast we are spinning, yes, toward our own demise, yeah. And I, I want to, I want to do what you just said. I want us to all get focused, be here now. Well, unfortunately, just like in recovery, a lot of. Uh, uh, drunks like myself had to hit rock bottom before we were willing to turn it around. And, you know, when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, that's when you will try anything. And that's unfortunately, uh, usually how people uh, recover and our country needs to get into recovery. I mean, it's like, you know, you can, you can uh, equate uh, 45, like that, that, that boyfriend of a friend of yours, or you think, what does she see in that guy? Oh, he makes her feel, he gives her this false sense of security. He makes her feel like a woman. It's like, um, well, you are a woman. You need to feel like, uh, why you, you are a woman. Why do you not feel like a woman? It's like this weird thing. So uh, where we are is in a, we're in a place as a country that we have to hit rock bottom, like an alcoholic, to be able to rebuild and recover. Yeah. We well, we're, could, not, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So you're so it's gonna take another four years of Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, it will. It oh, will take another Jesus, four I years. I, I just the thought of that, it made, I, I felt, you know, that throw up in your yes, mouth. The bile. When yes. I just I just felt that when I said that, that are we gonna have four more years of this? And it will will it take that long until he destroys yeah. so much? It absolutely will. And, but this is what we do in the meantime. We hold on to the things that are our biggest defense in this situation. It gives us an opportunity to strengthen our love, our joy, our love of colors and music and dance and joy, all the things that the ego mind does not have. And it, it forces us to strengthen our our level of understanding what's real and what's real in this world. The ego is all about false. That's why drag is so important because it, it underlines and circles all of the facade and the matrix. It's, it, it says, look, it, none of that's real. Focus on what is real. What is real is love and kindness, joy, laughter, music, dancing. You know, yes, it's like Nero and the, the fiddle as Rome burns, but find that space in your stillness, in your meditation, in your being present that uh, is joy and, uh, and sanctuary. So it, it offers us an opportunity to strengthen those things, you know? And uh, yes, it'll be difficult. It will be difficult, but... Uh, you know, we, you and I cannot overlook the part we played in all of this. I, I can't specifically tell you what part you and I played in it, mm. but we, since we are all one, yeah. there is, we do play a part in that, and we have to take responsibility for that. But 
uh, there is a solution, and uh, it has to do in strengthening your relationship with your mind, body, and spirit. Mm. How would I do on a RuPaul's uh, Drag Race? Well, it depends on how ambitious you are because drag isn't about, oh, you're the prettiest one. It has to do with all things, your sense of humor, your ability to see outside the box. Okay, your, I, got the, I can do those too. Yeah, and uh, your sense of fun, your sense of fun. Okay. I, we love the twist of a phrase. You know, I always say sweet, sensitive souls gravitate toward the irreverent because the mundane just bores us to tears. You know, I remember... Talked to my father years ago, and he'd be talking about some person in the neighborhood who's, oh, they're working at the post office. They got good benefits over there. And I'd be like, oh, my goodness. I'd be thinking to myself, I've been on Hollywood Squares. Hello. Hello. I was on Hollywood Squares. <laughs> and you're talking about benefits of the post office? It's like, you know, anyway, um, <laughs> the mundane, <laughs> the mundane is like death to us sweet, sensitive souls. Mm, so, mm, um, mm. you know, drag queens and people who think outside the box, like yourself, you're a drag queen. Uh, we gravitate toward um, interesting twists of phrase, portmanteaus. Mm. I love portmanteaus. You know, my favorite word in the English language is um, a portmanteau. It's um, Mexicatessen. And I, now that I've said it, mm. I'm going to be saying it over and over in my head because I love saying that word, Mexicatessen. Mexicatessen. Yeah. That's a great word. Isn't it great? Yeah. And it just, it makes me happy because it's right. clever and it's the way it blends together. And so drag is about <laughs> blending things and seeing things um, not only as they are, but as they could be and mashups. And mm -hmm. you know, that's why those uh, Carol Burnett skits where she would <laughs> parody, um, you know, mommy... Um, Mildred Pierce, she had one called Mildred Fierce, um, were always so much fun uh, because it made fun and, and uh, made fun of, of life. And, you know, not, it doesn't take life too seriously. And the same with Monty Python. You know, um, everything was up for grabs. Right. Everything, right. you know, and I've said this for years, I'm not offended. The only things I'm offended by are extreme poverty and deliberate cruelty. After that, it's fair game. Bring it on. You know, mm, mm. deliberate cruelty and extreme poverty are the only things that offend me. So about a decade or so ago in the town I live in, in Michigan, um, I was, I, I was giving a talk. I think one of my books had come out, but I lived there and, and one of the people in the gay community was there and stood up during the Q and A and, uh, said, um, would I be willing to be the, uh, the there's the, <laughs> This town is the, like the cherry capital of the Midwest. Huh. Um, it's called Traverse City, Michigan. Oh, and yes. So they have the cherry parade every year, uh, and they, they crown a cherry queen. Yeah. So the gay community had asked for a float and a space in the parade to, to do it, their own cherry queen, uh -huh. someone in, in drag. Yeah. And uh, the, so the town allowed it. Um, and this has been going on a few years, and they they asked me if I would be the cherry queen uh -huh. uh, in drag. Uh, in the print. I said, "Oh no, man, I can't do that." And they're like, "No, no, you have to do it." And and in that moment, I just said yes. And um, 
So I did, but I had a beard at the time and I didn't want to shave my beard. Ah, you can have the keep the beard. It's okay. sure, yeah. You can be a bearded queen. Yeah. And um so I did it. And it was um I don't know how to describe the experience. Uh it was front page in the town paper the next day, big picture of me riding and doing my uh, mm-hmm. queen wave. Yeah. And uh and also as we drove past the as the parade went past the Republican Party headquarters. Uh, they were there and they all came out with these big, um, uh, super squirt guns. Yeah. Not guns, bazookas. Yeah. Yeah. And just sprayed me uh-huh. with all this water. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, somebody, somebody had one or somebody, no, somebody on the curb, not a Republican threw me there machine uh-huh. gun of, uh-huh. of squirt gun uh-huh. <laughs> i started firing back and as a queen as a as the queen as a cherry queen <laughs> and um cherry queen fights back was that the headline of the paper yeah there was pretty much it was pretty much uh it that's what it looked like and um i don't i don't know if uh you know, 50 years from now, when they do the American Masters uh, uh, piece on me on PBS, yes, yes. Uh, I, I hope they find the footage of that uh, somewhere. But, um, but you know, but you're right. Your show and, and everything that you've done, and, and, and you know, this is a we, have, we haven't even touched any of this, and maybe that's for the better, uh, because I've enjoyed this conversation about where we're at and what we need to do. And but you're one of the people that have helped to bring us along. So, the, so basically what I was going to say was there's two things you and I, I know have in common. Uh, we have both done drag, uh-huh. even though I've only <laughs> done it once. And, uh, you know, against all my better judgment, it seemed at the time, but it was actually a great thing. And the, and the second thing is that you and I uh, have been named by uh, Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. Um, and... I know when I read that, when I saw my name there, I thought, wow, the world's in bad shape. (laughs) If I'm one of the 100 most influential people, uh, but, but, but you actually, but you helped to bring us all along. Um, and you know, you did it in a way that, uh, as you said, somehow it got accepted through you. You were this portal Mm -hmm. through that matrix, Mm -hmm. uh, because you were outside it. Mm-hmm. And you came in, you didn't have to come in to help us. You didn't have to, you have to go on mainstream cable TV or whatever. You could have just gone and lived your life. Sure. Um, you know, you have all these hits on all the Billboard Hot 100 dance charts. And, you know, people go clubbing, know your music. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as an actor. And, and you could have just said to hell with everything else and just mm-hmm. lived and enjoyed your life. But you chose, you know, not to do that. And I think... I mean, one of the saddest days in my, uh, as an American, as part of my American history, in 2004, Karl Rove convinced Bush that the only way he's going to get reelected, because the war was already a year old and unpopular, Mm -hmm. we have to get ballot measures in states to make it illegal, illegal, Mm -hmm. to marry a person of your own gender, Mm -hmm. to be in love with somebody of your gender. Mm -hmm. And they got 14 states to put this on the ballot, including Michigan and Ohio, and and he won that election by one state, Ohio, mm-hmm. and they all claim that, that, that he got his that second term because the haters came out to yeah. make sure that uh, LGBTQ people could not get married. And um, and I thought, wow, what does it feel like to be the other tonight? 
mm-hmm. when that mm-hmm. night happened. And I, th- and I honestly thought, I don't know how you felt at the time, I thought, wow, that's the end of that. Gay, yeah. Gay, what they call gay marriage. Yeah. That'll never happen. That'll never happen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. The fact that it happened 11 years later, just 11 years and just one president later, mm-hmm. blew my mind in the way that I remember the way we, when we were raised in the Cold War, the Berlin Wall would never come down. Right. Nelson Mandela, president of South Africa. Are you kidding me? He's going to die in prison. Mm-hmm. These crazy ass things happen that we all agree will never happen. Mm-hmm. And then it happens. Yeah. Just like that. And I thought, um, and they, so they, after the Supreme Court, um, with the deciding vote, I believe, one of the Republicans, I believe the Chief Justice, mm. uh, if, if, I'm, I'm, if I'm stating this wrong, somebody can correct me, John Roberts, decided that um, the government has no business telling you who you're in love with mm-hmm. and who you can spend your life with. And um, and so the same uh, people within this uh, gay community in Traverse City uh, asked me to perform what would be the first same-sex mm-hmm. marriage um, and we did it on the stage of my film festival with 600 people. In the wow. It was, wow. It was a very cool thing. But I, <clears throat> so this is where maybe where some of the optimism comes from, um, that I have seen these changes. Yeah. The pendulum swings both ways. And it's interesting how, uh, how extreme the pendulum swings both ways. But, uh, you know, and we've been around for a while. Um, what, what, it, that's what was so disappointing about the whole election last time was that it it put it underlined how far we had come as a race of people on this planet it's like we're still here we're still dealing with racism or sexism or all this we're still here the next the next step on that that level that evolutionary level ladder has to be uh, an understanding of what we are what those elements are how the psyche works, how the ego works, and being able to override that, being able to override the impulse to, uh, uh, you know, veg out in front of a television mm-hmm. screen, being able to, being strong enough to be present, being, ta- having the cojones to be right here, right now. That's the next step on the evolutional evolutional you know yeah, we're not we're not done yet no we're not anywhere near done no we're a very primitive culture yeah. michael we are a very <clears throat> primitive culture we still you know believe in the boogeyman and uh i believe in the boogeyman but not the not the scary kind it's right. another thing is um i know we're about to close out but um uh the thing is the fact that there aren't Discos, you know, in my day, you could go out dancing. There are no, there's no place to dance. There's no place to dance. That says everything you need to know about who we are as a race of people on this planet right now. Uh, you know, used to you drive by bars or whatever. It would say cocktails, dancing. Now it just says cocktails. There's no dancing. Dancing is our connection to spirit. Yeah, that's why you see the natives are dancing around a fire and a drum beat. It conjures up the spirit. We are not connected to the spirit, the source. And uh, that why, is why, our problem. Why have we stopped dancing? We stopped dancing because it, because it is our connection to the spirit. And if we are connected to the spirit, then we are connected to consciousness. 
we don't want to be consciousness conscious. That's why the heroin, the opioids, the oxycotone, I can't say that word. Oxycontin. Yeah. Um, that's why that's there because we don't want to be here right now. That's why that is. And we don't want to understand that. I don't want to be here right now. Yeah, sure. I, and <clears throat> you know, it's just what we're in an election year. I mean, what are we going to do? What are, what are you going to do? What, what, uh, we, I mean, I think there's been a good list a good group of Democrats that have been on that stage. They say good things and all that. And, and, uh, and, and people know who listen to this that know that I've been yeah. out on the road with Bernie and, and supporting him and all that. But, the, but uh, you know, there are other good candidates too. And I just think, but what are we, what are we going to do? How are we going to stop this madness? We, we, that's a very good question. I don't really have the answer to that. I, I do know that, um, you know, through my sobriety, it's important to do an inventory on what's going on with me. And it's, it's, it's a way, same thing America has to do is what's going on with me? What are the things that are not useful for me? And what are the things do, that I need to make space and make space for in my consciousness to, to invite this other, this, the divine mm. to enter into my consciousness? And that's why I keep saying uh, uh, America needs to go into recovery, you know, not, not literally, but in this way that through recovery, you learn to do an inventory. And as if you owned a shop, you, you'd clear old ideas, old merchandise off the shelves mm. so you can make room for new merchandise. Um, you know, those factories, we don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. Um, we have to, if you owned a store, you have to bring in new inventory that the consumer wants to buy. And as a performer, I'm in show business. I've been, I've been successful in show business for many, many years. Um, I'm not just one thing. I do a lot of different things. And even if you're not in show business, mm-hmm. um, you have to be able to do a lot of different things. You know, so uh, those old ideas, throw them out. It's still not. It's not too late to bring in some new ideas. There, there's an awakening that has to happen, as with you know, alcoholics who go into recovery. We, as a race of people, are due for a mass awakening. That's what has to happen. Right. I get that, what you just said, internally, mm-hmm. how the internal changes that have to take place. But externally, what what is the action that we need to do? What do we need to do this year? Are you planning to do anything around this election? Are you... Are, are you supporting anybody or thinking of doing that or are you waiting to see what happens or I, I I'm gonna wait to see what happens I'm hoping that the Democrats will come together I hope that I was hoping uh, you know last year that they would come together a- and form a consortium that uh, that said that had a, a real plan and one that would pick one candidate so it wasn't so dispersed and say okay we're gonna get behind this so we can get this get this cancer uh and i'm not talking about him i'm talking about this concept because even if he was gone 45 this concept this idea is more dangerous this this thing that 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 he represents is more dangerous than him that's what i say on this podcast all the time it's not just about getting rid of trump it's about getting rid of that which gave us trump that's right whatever that is whatever that is in our american soul yeah um, we need to look internally, and then we need to act externally 
to correct it so that we take care of each other. That's the, right. The two things that 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 you do not stand for um, the the poverty yes that exists um, tens of millions of Americans in poverty, including our children. Yeah. And uh, what was the other deliberate one? cruelty? Deliberate cruelty. Oh, geez, that's we have to listen to that every day. Mm-hmm. But so, so you, so we have a gay man running for president, mm-hmm. um, which is historic. Not enough is really said about that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing well. Not enough has been said about that since since Iowa, probably because Iowa is such a friggin' mess. Mm-hmm. But but when did you know? Here we are. Not even five years since the Supreme Court. By the way, it just hit me. It's not Roberts. It was Anthony Kennedy. Yes. Roberts wrote the big dissent um, saying uh, something to the effect in the dissent. Who do we think we are? Thinking that we can let people of the same gender marry. It was Anthony Kennedy that was the swing vote. Yeah. Um, but but we're not even five years from that. And... and we have a gay man running for president and not just running. He's like near the top mm-hmm. of the polls. This has got to give you some. Mm, well, you know, it actually, you know, it what, does for me, even though I'm not supporting him. Yeah, not, I hear what you're saying. You know, you know, years ago, and I, I know we're, we're running out of time years ago in New York. Uh, you know, when I came to New York in the 80s, everyone was going to the same club. It didn't matter. Gay, straight, uptown, downtown, black, white, Puerto Rican, get male, female. Everybody was in one thing. We were all partying. We had a great time. As Giuliani got into power, what, and, and this was in concert with what his, his rise to power in the city, different groups were splintering off. And um, it, this was a, okay, now this is a sort of a preppy bar, and this was a leather mm. bar, and this was a, mm. this bar. And, and it was... Um, it echoed what what was happening around the country. People were splintering off into what represented them. Everybody wasn't together, and the same politically right now. You know, um, you know, uh, you know, I, with the Democrats, this one represents me, that one represents that one. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think in terms of that. I think of us as one thing, and I've never felt comfortable th- saying, "Oh, um, you know, I'm." I'm with the black guy or I'm with the gay guy or I'm with that. You know, I see us all as one thing. Right. So, you know, I want the person in the White House who has forward thinking, who has a way to bring us as as a race of people on this planet to that next level of consciousness. And, um, so who is that? I I don't know. You know, right now the you Democrats. Vote in, you vote in New York, right? I vote in L.A. You vote in L.A. Yeah, I oh, still live here. So, okay, but, but Super Tuesday then is uh, not that far away. Yeah, right. So that's you're going to be voting. I'm going to be voting, but it's so diluted now that um, it feels like just a gesture. And I will vote, and I will, I will, you know, I don't know who yet, uh, but it feels like a gesture. Uh, because it's so diluted, I would I had hoped by now it had been we had honed in on one ideal, one concept, and moved that that way. Mm. Yeah, I had an idea last year. I offered to the Democrats: don't do the debates, uh, do an arena tour. I love it. All right, you're going to have to say start with ten candidates or whatever. There's an arena tour, and they all come out together. I love at it. the beginning. And, 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 and like in a, Superman too. Yes, exactly. And yeah. there's music and there's, it's entertaining. Yeah. 
and each of the candidates, instead of having to talk in sound bites for, th- you know, you have 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. You know, how do we, how do we fix the economic? 30 seconds. <laughs> it's like, I said, just let them each talk for 15 minutes. Just come out and give their, give their Clarence Darrow, Abraham Lincoln yeah. speech. And, and this is what I will do. I love that idea. Yeah. And I, I thought this was a good idea where, and then they would all be there. They'd all be together on the stage. Not to rip each other down, not to right. Be, and I and I and this wasn't a crazy idea. I because I said, look, m- most if not all of the Democrats, and it turned out to be true, are going to support the same things. They believe women should be paid the same as yes. men. Yeah. They believe the government shouldn't be in the bedroom. Right. They believe seven twenty-five an hour is insane. Right. Go down the whole list. They all agree on on those basic things. They may have a different approach on how to get there, mm-hmm. but. But if we did this as one big collective, mm-hmm. and yes, one will be the standard bearer, mm-hmm. and the other nine will be foot soldiers in that person, in, in our army, not the that yes. person that's running for president. Yeah. In the, and I'm probably, I'm just quoting too much of Bernie here at this point, saying that, but he really has this idea that it's you're not voting for him, you're voting for all of us, that we're all entering the White House together. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I love, I mean, yes, more of that, more of this one, that we are one. This is how we will, we will succeed. I hate to even use the word win because I just think there's a corrective measure that needs to be taken and Absolutely. it needs to be taken very, very soon. That's right. And we are here in an election year and we can, we can do that. So, but I appreciate your thoughts on this and, and uh, you still have a few more weeks yeah, uh, to decide. And um, I will probably go with, um, you know, the strongest, the person who has the most momentum because in uh, and who has the greatest chance to be Trump. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's, you know, it's simple. You know, I don't have, um, you know, this uh, idealistic idea of, oh, you know, you know, I don't want to throw my vote away. I don't. I want to. I want. You don't want a symbolic vote. No, I don't want to do that. You want you are you want to. Uh, charge someone with the with the orders that's right to go out there and lead us lead us to a better place that's right and this idea of us being so separate and splintered it's it's uh it's insanity it really is insanity you know uh we can't get anywhere uh with um you know, that's another thing about where we are. Do you know, after World War II, uh, we were, as humans on this, we were mm-hmm. very clear mm-hmm. on what our priorities were. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't um, oh, you know, you calling me by the right pronoun, or it wasn't, um, you know, things. That, our priorities were a better life for everyone. And it wasn't just splintered off into these different groups and, and subgroups in this group. It's like we're humans first. So um, I believe that that's where we need. And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, when we touch the stove, mm-hmm. uh, right. our, prior, I, our priorities will immediately uh, come into, into the proper order. Hopefully you know? quickly. Mm-hmm. Because we're already sort of touching oh, yeah. the stove. Oh, yeah. And it's weird that, that our hand still hovers there. Yeah. That's... Um, well, uh, I'll, 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 I'm going to bet on the fact that, that most people, not all, but most people will get this and, uh, and hopefully not, not too late, even though I feel it's too late. 
right now. We're in, <laughs> we're, we're in an era that I call too late, but it is an era. And so true. it's That's not true. the end of the era hasn't happened yet. We are still talking here. Um, New York is on fire, as we can hear clearly in the in the background. Yeah, and um, um, it's I, I love doing this. People say, "Well, you should." It's a studio. No, it's not. It's this is my guest bedroom. Yeah, and uh, now it's no longer a bedroom, and I don't have anybody come see me anymore. But yeah. that's okay. I'm ready. I'm here in New York City. We're sitting on top of a movie theater, and I can't think of a better place to be. And uh, and I can't think of having a better guest. That that. This has been, I, I could talk to you for two more hours and maybe you'll come back sometime, but I think um, you've been such a force for good. Um, you're funny. You bring happiness to people. Um, you, you, in your early days, and I think to just mentioning the fact that we don't have dance clubs anymore, you wanted us all to get up and dance mm -hmm. when we were all dancing together. Mm -hmm. and um, I want those days to come back, and I think that I think that they will, and I, and I have a lot of faith in our young people, too, that, that the, they'll put the screens down, uh, because I've seen it already this mm -hmm. year during the election out on mm -hmm. the campaign trail. I've seen, man, this, the young people are like, they are the energy of this thing. Yeah. And uh, they're going to they're gonna make this happen. I really, I really truly believe that. But uh, RuPaul, uh, it's been a real honor to have you. Uh, I'm in the first weeks of my, my podcast here. Oh. So, um, um, and it's, uh, I'll look back and remember this uh, day that you were here uh, in this uh, apartment uh, talking to me. It means a lot. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, Michael. It was a pleasure talking to you. And I've always uh, loved what you do and how you, um, you are a soldier in, in for, for love and joy and honesty and equality. And I am honored by your presence. Well, it means a lot to hear that. Thank you very much. Um, we've been talking here with uh, RuPaul. And... Um, You've been listening to Rumble with Michael Moore. Uh, uh, don't forget to subscribe. It's all free. And tell your friends and neighbors. Share this with them. There were some really important thoughts expressed here uh, today. Um, and I can't wait to go back and listen to this um, and think about it some more. Uh, you, you've really stimulated some great thoughts here. So thank you very much, RuPaul, for this. Thank you. That's it, everybody. Thank you for listening to Rumble. And thank you, RuPaul. RuPaul.